Let's see. My name is Luz. I am a mother of two, born in Mexico City, was raised for about 10 years between Mexico City and Cuernavaca. After that, a beautiful lie came uh, to be where we're going to Disneyland <laughs> for vacation. And from there on, it's been a roller coaster of things happening in my world. Hi there, it's Amanda. Vanessa is currently working on injury recovery and family care. On today's episode, we begin the motherload stories from the trenches of motherhood, where we talk about balancing all the things we need to, quote, have it all. A part of who we are is dictated by where we come from, our cultural identity. And for many of us, that means learning about where we come from through our family stories. Stories that include love, loss, change, and adventure. Sometimes we have our own stories of adventure. I am married. My husband is uh, he's Hispanic, but he's born and raised in Corpus Christi. Uh, and we met surprisingly at a bar where he doesn't drink meeting of introduction from a friend that said hey i have a guy guy that you would like and i said show me a picture facebook came up <laughs> and started going through pictures and to my surprise two weeks later he showed up and we started talking where it looked like i guess i was ignoring everyone else at the table except him and uh, we ended up going on a date probably two weeks later. We talked about how many kids we wanted, the names of our kids on our first date. Um, and that was it. I, from there on, we haven't, we've only been apart, and it's been six years now. So we've only been apart probably a good three or four weekends. I'm like, wow surprised this is happening <laughs> they haven't been apart from him for that long there's one story however that Luz has not shared with her husband um so around when i was nine or ten years old well before then probably around seven my dad came to the states um like everyone else trying to make some money to send back home to make sure that he supported his family because having a family of four, you know, four kids, wife, family of six. Is, it was kind of expensive. And really, we were, it was pretty, I mean, we were pretty poor, like low income, low income, where we lived in a, a shack where the, they used to slaughter pigs in there. And they turned it into a little house for us. Um Dad said, no, we can't live like this. So I'm going to go to the States. I'm going to pick um, oranges. And I'm going to come back and take you, you know, make sure we build the house for you guys and make things better. Um, a year later, Dad's not coming back. He's going to stay a little bit longer. And he had found different jobs doing what he used to do in Mexico City, which was parts for airplanes and just um medical stuff um he was a what do they call it a machinist 
So he started working at that. He stayed here for a little bit longer. Two years come around and he's not coming back. But you know, cheese must come and go. And so letters got to my mom and phone calls got to my mom saying, hey, your husband's with another woman. And my mom's like, oh no, I gotta go check this out. So she's like, hey kids, we're gonna go, you know, we're gonna go to uh, Disneyland and we're gonna go see your dad. It's like, all right, cool. But then, you know, you start selling all your stuff. You start moving out of the house. All your stuff is getting packed and put in a little storage. And we're like, okay, I thought we're coming back. So my my grandmother, uh, Lourdes, on my dad's side was like, you guys are not coming back. Your dad is, you know, looking forward to seeing you guys and staying up there with you guys. And we're like, okay, that's not what my mom is saying. So we're like, okay, well, we're going to see dad, you know, and we're going to go to Disneyland. We get to Tijuana because, of course, we don't have papers. We don't have visas. We don't have money to even cross the border. Um, and they, um, we get to my grandma's because my grandma had built a house in Tijuana. And we get to the house. And when we get there, my grandma's there. My uncle, some of my uncles get there. And my mom is like, you guys need to sit down. We need to talk. And we're like, okay. Does my dad not know that we're on our way? And she was like, your dad does not know that we're here in Tijuana and that we're going to cross the border. He said that once we get to California, if we walk in through one door, he walks out the next door. And I'm like, chingao. It's like, Why? Why are we going? If my dad doesn't want to see us, why are we even doing this? And my mom was like, well, it's better for you guys. It's going to be, it's the best thing for all of us. And we're like, no, you said we were going to do, to, we were going to go to California to Disneyland. That's what you said. Now you're telling us that my dad doesn't even want to see us. I mean, we're talking, I'm like nine years old at the time. And she's like, everything's going to be okay. We're like, okay. The, I can't remember how long we were in TJ for, but um, I think it was like two days where my uncles and grandma put together the money for the coyotes. And my uncle knew these people really well. And they had us in, what I vaguely remember is they had us at night in a hill. They had bought jackets for us, dark jackets, because we didn't have any. Um, we had our school shoes and, you know, the, in Mexico, they're the nice shiny shoes that, that are, you know, just the little strap and the buckle. And, but we didn't have any tennis shoes or anything like that. Um, we had, I think we had on shorts because at the time it was hot because it was in August and they had our jack, they, they had bought us jackets. So we're sitting on a hill and they're like, these guys come up. There's a whole bunch of people around us, but they group about 20 of us together. That's my mom, my uncle um, that was crossing with us, and then my four siblings, uh, plus other group of people. And they're like, hey, if you, um, once we tell you run, you're going to run. So you guys need to rest, need to sleep, but the moment we wake you up and we say run, you're going to run. And we're like, okay. 
and they're telling us you're gonna go straight you're gonna see a you're gonna see a literally a wall and you're gonna jump off that wall but you're jump onto the wall so that you can cross but we're thinking I mean I thought it was a small wall but you're talking a six-foot wall for kids that are short Mexican kids short that you know we can't we don't have the height um, to jump so we walk we go ahead and we're staying there we're sleeping all of a sudden people come around and it's like it's time it's time apurense, apurense. and then right now right there they say like they start telling us let's run let's run so we run we run towards probably a good 10 minutes of running towards that wall that seemed like it was forever and all of a sudden they start pushing us off over the wall my uncle jumps over the wall first to help get us over they we get over the wall and they're trying to push my mom over but they my mom never gets to cross so we're across the border with my uncle who we don't necessarily have much relationship with but we know he's an uncle um, and my mom is not there my mom gets pulled back by La Migra and it's like okay what do we do and they're like you need to run you need to hide you need to do this probably a good four to five hours where we were between drainages hiding in the streets behind trash cans um, crying because my mom was not there with us um, not knowing necessarily what was gonna happen to us um, I remember telling them I think I know my because my uncle didn't have my grandma's phone number or anybody's phone number from my family in California and I remember saying it's like I think I remember a number and they take me to a payphone where everyone is hiding between the trash cans um, I don't know where necessarily probably like a, a supermarket or something um, and we go to a payphone and they're dialing the number I'm giving them but it's not nobody's picking up the numbers not valid so we end up at a um, I don't know for how long we walked and we were hiding but we ended up in an apartment complex um, where there was a whole bunch of people I can't even remember but they had a Nintendo where introduction to Nintendo and Mario Brothers was at this apartment complex where all I could do was cry because I didn't have shoes on my mom was in there with us and we didn't know where we were we didn't know if we were ever gonna see our parents or if we were gonna see um, anyone in our family or my mom we um, my brother my sisters were playing um, Nintendo learning how to play Mario Brothers I was crying no shoes I lost my shoes on the way there um, we find somebody somehow finally got a hold of the coyotes and they got a hold of my my grandma and my uncles and they came to pick us up probably within 24 hours when we crossed and they were like okay you know we're your mom is okay 
she's uh you know she's in tj she's fine she just wants to make sure you guys are okay and we're gonna go to your grandma's house right now my concern is like well my dad doesn't want us there i want to go back to my mom I was crying because I was like, he doesn't want us there. I need to see my mom. And they're like, You're okay. everything's okay. Your mom is going to be fine. And we're going to take you to your to your grandma's. Um, we stop at Payless to get some shoes for myself and I think one of my siblings also. Um, we got some food at Wendy's. Um, they told us, you're going to, they drove us in my uncle's van and they're like, okay, you're going to fall asleep. If somebody stops us, we don't know you. We just picked you up on the side of the road. But you can say good morning. And we were practicing all these words like good morning and hi and bye. Those were like the few words that they were trying to drill us in that specific day. Um, and we got to my grandma's and I was, my dad saw us and <laughs> I remember saying, I'm so sorry, Daddy. We didn't want to come. No queríamos venir. No queríamos venir. Pero no nos dejes. No nos dejes. And we saw him there, and he's like, it's fine. And he just hugged us, and that was it. That was our border-crossing traumatic experience that I don't I don't tell many people because they're like, you're kidding, right? They, they, they think it's a... It's a lie. I don't even think my husband knows the story, the full story. He knows I'm from Mexico City. He knows I'm full-blown Mexican, but I don't think he knows the whole story. And how old were your other siblings when this happened? You were nine. I was nine. My older sister was ten. My brother would have been six or seven, and my younger sister was four. When you think back to living in Mexico. What do you remember? A lot of dirt. <laughs> a lot of dirt and a lot of like farm animals, to be honest with you. Because we lived in in little shacks. I mean, I my family has come a long, long way. Because um, we lived in little shacks. We lived in an impoverished neighborhood um, where if ha if it had not been for my dad coming up here and for my mom saying, you know what, whether your dad's cheating or not, we're going to go. Um, I don't think we would have gotten out of it. And, uh, I mean, it's funny because... When we were cleaning out my dad's stuff after he passed away, we found a a letter that my mom had written and certified to the governor of Guernavaca requesting a toilet because at the time our house where we lived in our toilet was really just a box. It wasn't even the toilet seat that we know here. And, you know, it was just a, like a, a box that you see on in the movies from back in the days. So when we were cleaning the house and we were cleaning my dad's paperwork, I saw that and I just broke down completely. 
Because it's like, God, in, you know, in 20 years, we have gone from asking the governor to grant us the wish of having a toilet to actually having a house with air conditioner, with a yard. We don't have to be, you know, throwing out water so the dust doesn't pick up. Um, so, yeah, that was a very humbling moment for me just to remember how far we have come. There was so much stress put upon us because, I mean, my mom tried, you know, when my dad wasn't around, she tried to help around other people's houses so that we could have extra money for bread or for sodas um, or that, you know, she would work on the holiday time so that we could have gifts for the de los reyes. Um, but yet the families that we lived with, because the families that we lived with, it was more like using us as forced, like as child labor, if you would, because we would pull in weeds for these families in order to even make up some of the money that my parents couldn't pay for, um, for rent. Or that my mom, you know, had asked them for a loan and the way to repay them was for us to do chores around their houses. Um, so I thank them for teaching me the value of things nowadays. But going back and looking at it, it's like I don't wish it. I don't wish that on anybody. And I hope that nobody ever has to live that experience again. And unfortunately... We see that so more, so much more often and people that don't, like you said, you know, people that have not experienced it, that don't have families that come from south of the border, they don't understand that that is reality for maybe not Mexicans anymore, but Southern, you know, El Salvador, yeah, Venezuela, Guatemala. That there, it's more of a reality for them now. Whereas to Mexican, you know, for Mexico, it's been a little bit more developed, yes. But you still have those areas of the country where it's not, it's still something that they live on a day to day basis. So, how long were you undocumented? So, we were undocumented for probably a good nine years because uh my dad was <laughs> too much to his being against becoming a u.s citizen he was forced by my mother <laughs> he was forced by my mother um to go to a free workshop to become a citizen um, and the only reason he went was because it was at the Queen Mary and he was going to be able to even poder ver todo el barco because he had always wanted to go. So that was the only reason he went because he was going to be able to go onto the ship and be, see all of the, the museum in general. So he went, he applied for citizenship. Um, probably about two years later, um, he was able to request us. Well, he had already requested us um, as a resident. Um, he had already submitted our paperwork, but it was still going to take too long. So he submitted paperwork again so that he could request us after he became a U.S. citizen. I We got our papers 
We got our work permit in 1990, at the end of 1996. Um, because I had just graduated and I was like, let me go work, dad. Let me go work. And he was like, no, you got to focus on school. I had been admitted to Cal State LA thanks to uh, two great teachers that helped us get accepted without having to turn in a valid social security number or a valid immigration card. Um, they, were, um, they were able to get us accepted. So we got accepted to Cal State LA, attended for about a year. And in 97, we moved to San Antonio. When I moved to San Antonio, all we had was a work permit. We didn't even know if we were going to get the residency status um, at any point. But having the um, INS office here in town made it a lot easier to kind of check up on, at that time, to check up on our status to see how how much longer we would have to wait. Um and it was within six months. So in 97, within six months, um, we got our residency status, which it was a shock to us because they had told us they would take about two to three years after the work permit had been received. So we had to be, you know, we had to always keep an eye on that work permit because if it expired, we might not get the residency status. Um but we got our residency status. Um, we, you know, both all of our, all of my siblings and I continued to go to college. So I attended SAC for about, uh, I can't even remember, for about three years I attended SAC. And then I transferred to UTSA. Um, surprisingly, once I graduated from UTSA, I was like, all right, I'm ready to go to work and this is going to be fun. Um, and it was probably in 2002 when I graduated, I graduated, um, from UTSA with a bachelor's in business administration with a concentration in international business and in human resources. And here I thought, you know, I'm going to make I'm going to move on, you know, in the career field, I'm going to get something, a good job because I speak Spanish. I have a double, you know, a minor here, international business at San Antonio. Why can't I make a career here? And there was no career here <laughs> when it came to that field. So um, I started applying. I was like, okay, well, what's best for me? You know, what's best for me and my family? that I saw in the newspaper, because at that time I was still reading the newspaper, I saw um, Social Security was recruiting. And I was like, this is a great opportunity. Getting in with the government, Social Security Administration, I can speak two languages, I'm very, you know, I'm very technical savvy, I, my um, typing is great as far as my computer use. And I can help, you know, all those people that need assistance in Spanish. So that was my selling point to, to the recruiters. Six different interviews later, the lady tells me, did you know that this is only for U.S. citizens? <laughs> six different interviews, six different campuses. And she's like, I'll give you the interview, but you're not going to get it. And I turned around to her and I said, you know what? 
I'm not going to waste your time and I don't want you to waste my time any further. After six interviews, I would have thought somebody would have said, been kind enough to say what you just said to me, at least after the first interview. Um, I left that office after five minutes of meeting the recruiter. Um, I left it, went directly to the immigration office. I got a citizenship application and six months later I became a citizen. So yeah, that was, that was my frustration, my anger. I walked into the INS office and they're like, how can we help you? And I slammed my immigration card on the desk. I remember I need a U.S. citizen application. And the lady looked at me like, what are you talking? I was like, I need to become a U.S. citizen. And she gave me the application and she's like, this is, you know, gave me all the pointers that I needed. I asked her, do I need an attorney to complete the form? She's like, no, you speak pretty good English and you can read perfectly fine. You'll be able to complete it by yourself. And sure enough, I completed the form. I went to Walgreens, took my pretty pictures, <laughs> which I don't like and I've never liked. So why did you wait so long to become a citizen? Because at the time, the cost to become a U.S. citizen was about $600. You're talking pictures, paperwork, notaries, and all of the fees that you have to pay the government for it. Um, and I wasn't really in a hurry because you could only become a U.S. citizen after four years. Since my dad had requested us being a U.S. citizen, um, the residency was for a 10 year time frame. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, well then I got 10 years before I could, before I have to become a U.S. citizen. And when that happened, I was like, no, I'm not going to wait the 10 years. Um, but it was just that, I mean, the fact that, man, it, it was expensive. It's still expensive. I think it's more expensive now and I don't even know what the price is. But it was like, well, I got 10 years. I don't really need it. It's not much of a hurry. I can stay in the States and have working. But I had, since we had the work permit and the residency status, by 1998, um, I had already started working um, at a call center. So it wasn't like I wasn't working, but as a recent graduate with student loans and car payment, um, and the brand new cell phones. I, I, I wanted to, to spend money on something other than becoming a citizen until that moment, until that moment when that lady said, no, you can't. It was like, I'll interview you, but I can't offer you the position was when I was like, no, I've got to do something else for this. See, my mom became a citizen after 10 years. Um, all my siblings, well, my two younger siblings became citizens automatically once my dad became a citizen because he was, a, or yeah, because he was, a, um, they were minors, so they became automatic citizens. They just had to file paperwork, but nobody knew until they were getting married that they had already had their citizenship status they just had to complete paperwork um 
my, I mean, I have cousins that are, you know, fighting through DACA to, to fight to stay here because they don't have, you know, my uncles didn't maintain their citizenship. Um, so looking at DACA and, you know, just praying that they are able to stay because they came with us 30 years ago. They were part of the group of people that crossed that the border and jumped that wall um, where, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with them. Well, you mentioned earlier that you don't, you have not told your husband your whole s story. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't think it's come up. I've t mentioned pieces of it, um, but we really haven't had like, sat down and talked about, hey, this is really my story. I think it's, I don't know, honestly, I, I don't know why. My husband knows, I, I've told him the story about my mom and how she ended up finally crossing, coming across, that I barely just found out that she was actually smuggled in on one of the Pepsi trucks. Um, and apparently they had a pursuit after them and somehow she was able to get away, um, that I did not know until probably last year. So he knows that part of the story and he, I don't think he believes it too much or it's just like we said before, it's too far to fetch for, for him cause he didn't experience it and his family has not experienced that. Um, um, when you watch the news or hear the news, what goes through your mind with regards to immigration and DACA and the wall that is being proposed built two, two and a half hours away from us? <laughs> um, that wall, that wall has been there for years and it will always be there. And I'm sorry, any Mexican that you talk to, they're going to make a hole. They're going to dig under it. They're going to drill through it. It's. I mean, there's going to be somebody that's going to be able to drill a hole and then start digging from there. And it might take two to three years, but somebody's going to make another hole on the other side and they're going to start digging. And people are going to continue to cross the border no matter what. Because why? Because people need money. Because people need food. And unfortunately, our countries do not give us the opportunity to be better. The, our countries don't have somebody to say, hey, you know what? I really do care of my, my people. And instead of stealing the money and making deals on the side with other companies, I'm going to help my country and I'm going to help the citizens of Mexico or Latin America or Venezuela, wherever you want to, you know, wherever, whatever country in South America you want to look at. So there's, there's always going to be that immigration and there's always going to be somebody that's going to need say, you know what, my family needs something else and I'm going to cross that border no matter how much it takes me. So that wall, as much as people want to put it up and I, and it pains me to see a Mexican, you know, wearing a Selena t-shirt saying, go ahead and put that wall up because I don't want no more immigrants coming where they don't understand where they come from. Um, the, you know, listening to students that are going to lose their, their DACA privilege 
um, all those dreamers, my cousins included, it's painful. And I pray, you know, every night for them and make sure that I touch bases and say, hey, are you okay? Is everything okay? Have you continued to renew your 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 status? Because that's really all they can do, just renew and pray that somehow they end up staying or somehow they don't end up getting deported because they're already 35 years old and they don't know anybody in Mexico. Yeah, they know family from Facebook, but they don't know what really goes down there. What what can they do when they if they ever get deported? Um, so it's 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 painful. It's frustrating. Sometimes I look at that man and I'm just like, what stupid thing are you gonna say now? How does that story, that part of you, affect you as a mom? I wait. Um, okay. it was that was not the answer I was expecting <laughs> i I haven't thought about it, but I think the way um the way it affects me is that my kids get what I can afford and what I can give them, so I don't I splurge to an extent because I want them to have what I never did. When I was a kid. Um, I mean, you're talking about we had that 99 cent doll. But we never had the big expensive toys. Um, we never had a a bed that we could call our own. And we didn't have to share with our three other siblings. So for me, my kids are going to have whatever I can spend on them, no matter what. Even sometimes if I get into debt, which my husband doesn't really appreciate. Um, but I look at it from my children are going to know where their mom comes from. And they're going to appreciate everything they're given. Sometimes I look at some of my friends' um, kids and they're like, oh, I already have this or, oh, that, I don't want clothes. One of my nephews one, <laughs> one day said, why do you always get me clothes, Thea? And I'm like, you should be grateful that we get you clothes. Because your mama and your tia I went, at one point did not have any and they were have to share clothes. Um, so I always, I want always for them to understand that. Mind you, I want them to eat Mexican food. Um, I want them to know what beans <laughs> really are. Uh, not just um, not just pinto beans, but black beans also. Um, and I want to be I want to be a mom that's <laughs> I want to be a mom that's there for them. Just like my mom was there, but not necessarily, I want them to be able to do their own stuff. And it's hard because I'm going to be an overwhelming mother that's always going to be there no matter what. And people tell me you need to 
you need to let your kids be. You need to let your kids go run around. And But it's like, I don't want to let my kids go run around. I want my kids to be next to me. What is your bitch please? What is it that, what's the thing that's making you roll up your sleeve, take off your earrings, <laughs> what and does, speak up? What does not make <laughs> Lately, I don't have the energy to say bitch please. But I think it's more like, bitch, please don't tell me how to raise my kids. You know, as much as people have their opinions and they all tell you, ay, tus hijos no te dejan. Y por qué no los dejas andar con su abuelita? Or por qué no los dejas estar solos? It's like, bitch, please, my kids are my kids. I gave birth to them. I raised them. You can't tell me that I should, you know, just come by and see family and just hand them over. So it sounds like your family is your primary support system, your tribe. Yes. Um, my mama... As much as she would like me to, you know, as much as she would love to have her grandchildren with her and have them spend over the weekend, she she understands that I want I, I can't sleep without my kids. I can't. Just like she couldn't sleep <laughs> while I was at home and I was going out and partying and coming until coming home until three o'clock in the morning or sometimes at six. Um, she understands that. Yeah, I'll need her to take care of them one day or two. But I have to have my kids at home with me. And she understands that. She understands that the way she brought me up and said, you have to spend the night in your house. Um, that's what I want for my kids. And she's been a great support at them. What do you want for your girls? One for your girls. Confidence. I want them to have the confidence to learn from their mistakes, the confidence to do what's right, the confidence to stand up and speak out when they know something's not right. The confidence to know that they will always have a safe place at here with us once they go out into the world. Mm -hmm. The confidence to be whatever it is, whomever they're going to be. That's awesome. Thanks. That's awesome. I just literally just pulled that out of my butt. <laughs> but it sounded really good. For more information on becoming a U.S. citizen or about how you can help dreamers, read the show notes for this episode at www.bitch-pls.com. This episode was produced and edited by me, Amanda Reyna, with sound effects provided by my children running around in the background. At this moment, I'm just trying to figure out how to get my boy to stop taking off his clothes when he goes to the bathroom.